Welcome to the Ars Technicast, where we bring you the latest in the worlds of computing, technology, science, and everything else in between. During each episode, a group of Ars staffers will dig deep into some of the issues we've covered on the site. We'll also talk about some of the other stuff we're doing when we're not circling the Ars orbiting headquarters. I'm your host, Senior Apple Editor, Jackie Chang, and on this week's show, we have a Deputy Editor, Nate Anderson. Hello. And Social Editor, Cesar Torres. Hey there. So this week, we are dedicating our show to internet scams and phone scams, um, and it is largely kicked off uh, from the coverage that uh, Nate and John Brodkin have done recently about um, scams that involve uh, people posing as tech support reps. So I thought I would sort of give it to Nate to sort of tell us, just to sort of bring us up to speed on the kind of scams that people are seeing right now with tech support. So the basic model here is is pretty simple. And the amazing thing is that we are seeing it all over the world. People will call uh, the UK, Australia, the US, and they will just tell the first person who answers the phone that your computer is infected with a virus and that somehow they have been notified about it. Usually they say they are from Windows technical support or something that sounds like they're affiliated with Microsoft or that they're somewhat official. And uh, they're just sort of hoping that most people have some kind of Windows PC. And if they don't, they'll just hang up. But if they do, they ask them to go over, open it up, let's take a look. And they lead them through to the event viewer in Windows. And then they point out these usually innocuous error messages. And they tell them that these are the results of some virus, that the virus is not deletable, that it's causing their computer to slow down, etc., and that they, you, know, you need to grant this caller remote access to your computer, and then they will kind of come in remotely, fix up the problem, and they'll only charge you, you know, 100 to 500 bucks uh, for doing that. So that's the basic scam, and we reported on it last week because the Federal Trade Commission really cracked down on, I think, six of these groups who were, who were running this particular scam, all, all of them basically the same scam. So I was actually wondering about the FTC action. Um, what I mean, what are the? I guess what is the action that's being taken? What are the consequences of of running this kind of scam? Well, the FTC can issue you know all these civil fines. They can take people to court as a civil matter. Um, does that work? I don't know. It seems to deter some people, especially if there's a U.S. component to what they're doing. And I think they said that these six operations had actually been shut down already. But there's a lot of guys doing this, and a lot of them uh, appear to be based in India. Almost all the stories that I've seen and heard, um, and you can see hundreds of videos of people recording their calls with these guys on YouTube um, and on their blogs and things. Uh, they seem to be largely originating from India, and I'm not sure how much there is that they can really practically do to reach a lot of these guys. Yeah, when I um, when I read your coverage, I think the thing that I'm always thinking about is you know how my parents and grandparents are going to handle stuff like this. And um, I mean, do you feel like uh, based on based on what I read, it, it certainly seems like they, even though they kind of use awkward wording and and we like to sort of laugh at it as as people who know about computers, I, I feel like a lot of maybe older users and people who aren't so tech savvy might really, I mean, become victims for this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really the saddest and most unconscionable part of it. I mean, these guys are that's largely who they're preying on is the audience who 
I guess, would answer a random phone call and think, yeah, it is totally plausible that somebody on the other side of the world has just been notified you know, that I have a virus running on my computer. Um, I, I know there was a, a, a BBC presenter from their, their show Click had this happen to her stepmother. Um, who almost fell for, almost gave the guy a fair bit of money before this presenter stepped in and had to tell her this was a scam. And so, yeah, to be making that kind of living, you know, off the backs of people who who really should know better is sort of one thing. But to do it when you know that most of your targets are either elderly or just not very sophisticated, just, I don't know. I guess it especially gets me because I could see certain members of my own extended family you know possibly falling for something like that and losing money they don't really have to lose well and there's a there's a way it can happen so easily if you have a family member that is tech savvy and in my family that would be me i I get those phone calls or the emails can you help me with this and there's a lot of requests for can you tell me if uh if I need this virus protection software, because something in the computer said you need to update this or you've been infected. Maybe if you're generous like me, you answer these and you say, yeah, I'll help you out and you sort of resolve it. But the day that you're not there or that when you finally tell that family member, no, I'm not available to do this because I have a job. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Then, then that I think it could be so easy for them to get pulled into this because, uh, it's seemingly help, possibly, or uh, there's just this trust in the computer. And even though it's a phone call coming in, if you don't understand how computer networks work, how customer service works, and you get that phone call, you'll just say, yeah, that, that makes sense. I'm sure something's wrong with my computer. Help me fix it. And uh, I would hate to see that happen to relatives. You know, I do think this particular scam strikes me as the kind of thing that really anybody should be pretty wary of, right? In the in the age of telemarketing and and the widespread scamming that goes on, you know, if you get a random call from somebody that you did not initiate, um, trying to tell you something's wrong to give the money over the phone, and you had no relationship with this person, I mean, that just doesn't happen. I mean, I can't think of any legitimate um, outcome from that scenario. So it do, it does seem like. You should use a little bit of, of kind of common sense there. But on, on Internet scams in general, I'm pretty sympathetic. I mean, I think as people who grew up using computers, it's hard to remember just how difficult they can be to use if you're not kind of steeped in the way they work and just how complicated some of these, especially the scareware scams that we're seeing uh, in the last five or ten years are. Um, and, and so my parents, who have both recently retired – have started using um, an iPad, and they do most of their casual browsing and I think even their light emailing on this thing. And, you know, that actually gives me some peace of mind. Um, I just, there are just less problems that can happen this way because some of the complexity is hidden from users. And I know our audience likes that complexity, but I, I guess it really brought home to me how that can be useful when people aren't as computer savvy as some of us are. Well, and, you know, the identity is such a centerpiece of this. It's if you get a phone call, you know, from any customer support or uh, if you get approached even electronically through email for your something, some issue with your account. I I think we think about that all the time because we're in that world of uh, tech. But again, for family members or people who don't understand it, how can they um, verify who, who people are. I, I guess, I I mean, I'm, I don't really know the answer, but I, I would think that they 
could verify by I mean, usually when, when my, for example, when my parents ask me about these kinds of things, about emails that they get that are sort of phishing emails and that kind of thing, um, I usually tell them to not click any links or, you know, not respond to that those emails. And instead, if they are worried, to call, like proactively call the company that might be involved. So, you know, if it's Windows or something, maybe call Microsoft you know, customer service, or if it's, if it's, you know, something claiming to be a Mac virus, you know, maybe call Apple customer service or iTunes customer service and see from their end, if there's some kind of problem with the account or whatever. Um, like for example, with my, my mother, um, she gets a lot of Facebook phishing emails and she loves clicking on the links, even though I've told her not to. So, (laughs) I, I'm always, I'm always like, you know, if you truly believe, if you're worried that, you know, some of these emails might be not a scam, I mean, you could try and reach out to Facebook customer service on your own and see if they will tell you that anything's wrong with your account. So I would think, hopefully, that if people are getting phone calls, maybe they can sort of blow off the phone call person, you know, tell them whatever, and then call the company directly if they are worried about it. Um, that's what I usually try to tell people. You know, Nate, I'm very curious about a certain part of your story uh, having to do with how they talk to you. You you gave a lot of uh, quotes as to what this person was kind of saying to you and uh, getting you to engage. Uh, but what was the uh, quality of the call like? Did Did they seem or did they sound like a conventional tech support person? Well, I, I didn't think so. I mean, I, I found this very suspicious, and in part because, of course, we had been covering this story that morning. I mean, this was on the day that the story broke. The Federal Trade Commission announced its crackdown, and I think two hours after they have a big press conference about this, I get the first call I've ever gotten from one of these guys, um, which just seemed like an amazing coincidence and made me wonder if they were just trying to get, you know, a few more rounds of this scam in before it became sort of public knowledge. Um, but no, it was it was just immediately, you know, sir, I'm calling from Windows Technical Support and your computer has a virus and I need you to go to your computer and start. And it was just very quick and immediately he was trying to get me to do things on my machine without, I think, any reputable company that was doing something like this would you know, obviously take great pains to convince you of who they are, ask you if you'd like them to proceed. This was very much just, you know, bam, let's get going, sit at your computer and start <laughs> doing this stuff. I and mean, I just thought, like, who is going to do this? Well, the, but the, apparently people do. They do. I, the only time I've had issues like that in the past, this was maybe 10 years ago, where um, it was a, a, a suspicious uh, activity on my credit card. And the company called me, but the very first step when you at least hope that it's legit, is that they uh, try to verify your identity before any part of the conversation continues. And uh, it seems like with this, they were just like, get your butt off the couch and start <laughs> doing stuff on your computer, which makes no sense. I mean, they how did they even know? who Did they use your name? Or they just said, sir? No, just sir. They didn't know who it was. <laughs> I mean, you know, wow. what makes this whole thing so ridiculous is they they don't know what computer it is, right? They just say, go to your computer. They're guessing you yeah. have one. They don't give you an IP address. They don't give you a computer name. And so many of these things that we've seen online where people have recorded these calls, you know, the people ask them, well, wh- which computer? 
And there often seems to be just kind of confusion or, or bafflement on the other end that there could be more than one. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really interesting. It's, it's like almost the scammers haven't even quite caught up to the fact that people have multiple computers and devices and that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I, and I, I just don't know how much of that is cultural here. I mean, I'm guessing that these scams are not being run by sort of international men of mystery, but by people who are pretty hard up for you know resources, and many of whom seem to be living far away. And I'm just guessing they don't have a lot of experience of what life is like for their callers. And that's why some of these calls um, end up in very weird places. Like what? And now I'm so curious. What do you mean by weird places? Well, we have a John Brodkin who did some of our earliest coverage on this is actually just about to post something that should be live by the time we're up here. But um, just in which people will deliberately troll these guys and the people on the other end of the phone seem to have no idea that they're being trolled. I mean, just about crazy stuff. Like, yeah, I'm using my dial-up modem to access CompuServe, so just hold on a minute while I connect. And, <laughs> oh, no. You know, I mean, telling them they're installing non-existent service packs for Windows Vista, and I mean, just on and on. Uh, yeah. Increasingly ludicrous stuff. And, you know, I don't think these people don't even seem to be very tech-savvy most of the time. I, I suspect they're largely reading from scripts. I do have to, you know, a, a few years ago I did a couple of articles about 419 scams, um, and it was sort of similar. You know, people like to screw around with these people, and it is really funny up to a certain point. And I think that there are a lot of ethical debates when it comes to putting the scammer in in danger, um, or potentially putting the scammer in danger um, when you're kind of messing around with them. I mean. Uh, do you have any personal opinion on that? Or Well, in most of these scams, it's it's sort of a different thing because you've got somebody calling you on the phone. The only thing that really happens is you talking with them. So there's only so much that can happen there. In, in the scams you're talking about, people would convince these guys, often um, Africans, to go out and do things – in the real world, like to leave their computers and do all sorts of crazy things, like go carve a Commodore 64 keyboard out of wood was yeah. one of the famous ones. But, but then there became this kind of dark undercurrent in which, you know, the usually fairly well-off people on the receiving end of these scams would get their scammers to do things that were really humiliating. And I think that's where some of the ethical stuff kind of comes in. Is it really... Yes, what these people are doing needs to stop. It's it's terrible. You know, law enforcement should crack down on it whenever possible. But is it right to go to some of the lengths that these people did in their desire to kind of get revenge? I mean, they're not really trying to stop a scammer. They're they're not catching them. It is just kind of pure humiliation and then it was posted to these groups at which other people kind of sit and laugh at them. And I I guess at that point it it sort of rubs me the wrong way, even though what these people doing is pretty despicable. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it is kind of fun to laugh at sort of wasting their time, but there is a certain point in which you do have to sort of step back and think about, you know, what kind of, almost like what kind of life this person has, has had to deal with to the point where they are now, you know, doing phone scams for people, you know, pretending to be tech support. Well, it comes from such a negative place. If if you've taken the time to ridicule these people and work some elaborate method 
to point this out to them that it's ridiculous. That means that implies that you have an understanding of what what's happening and how this is being done, how the actual scams are being done to other people. So how about spending some of that effort on actually solving the problem, right? Like at the very root, rather than just kind of creating a, a spectacle out of it. I, I agree. That rubs me the I mean, it's way. tough. It's tough. And I think that's a really interesting issue because because what they're doing is so terrible and like we said before is often being paid for by the people in our society in our society who can least afford it you know often I, it sounds like the elderly are the ones who get caught in this the most and that's pretty terrible too so i don't know i guess i'm fine as long as you're just wasting their time or even if you're having fun with them um I think that's fine. It, but a number of these at the very end turn into personal abuse or attempts at humiliation or, or something that just to me feels like it crosses the line. I don't know. I, I guess, yeah, they're, they're people too. And despite what they're doing, I think there's a certain line which I'm not comfortable crossing. It just doesn't feel like the right approach. Now, I do have to wonder, I mean, if they if the scammers even step up their game, I mean, what is... I do have to wonder what is the threshold for sort of wasting their time. Like, what if the scammers eventually figure out that they sound ridiculous when they say, I'm calling from Windows, and um, instead they call and say, I'm calling from Geek Squad, or, you know, something along those lines. Like, my grandmother, for example, you know, she pays a monthly fee for some kind of regular Geek Squad service because she doesn't want to bother me, which is very nice of her. Um you know, but what if she starts getting calls where these people are like, "Oh, I'm calling from Geek Squad, and your computer's reporting problems." I can see that being a huge problem. If um, I mean, if these kind of scams sort of evolve over time. Well, that's exactly how email scams have evolved, isn't it? To the point that you now have really realistic, you know, phishing emails that you know often make me think for a second, um, or at least want to check the link that they point to or something, because you think, "Oh, I really do have an account with." you know, this bank or this company. And I think the the best ones now don't ask you for the really obvious things like click this link and, you know, give me your password, but they seem a little bit more subtle. And so, you, yeah, you've got to believe that, you know, the better people at this scam are going to be innovating around it and making it more plausible. Well, I mean, if it works when it's this bad... Imagine how good it would be if it sounded remotely plausible. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the classic scam, even before the Internet was invented, uh, always functions on a couple of different um, uh, foundations. One, one is the playing on emotions. You know, if you feel compassion for somebody or you want to help them out or you're afraid for, you know, yourself, then you, you take action because you, you want to change the situation. Or uh, if there's authenticity. And I think lately, the authenticity is what gets me to almost click too, because they're, they're, those emails come in such a way where it's more of a notification from the bank or the, the eBay, whatever it's going to be. And you go, oh, wow, you know, that's just, it seems so legit. And uh, that sophistication, it, that also, I think, I am in awe of it. I think it's completely wrong. But once they figure out how to make these sound more polished and real, I am always kind of uh, amazed, like, wow, good job. <laughs> so, you know, given that that's the reality of the situation, is this kind of constant innovation, you know, in the face of every attempt to stop it will result in some sort of innovation 
that tries to avoid, you know, the measures put in place, what's the, you know, what do we do about it? I think that's, I mean, that's the big question. <laughs> I, I mean, what do we do about it? There's, it's, it's so, I mean, like you just said, it's, it, everything is changing so fast and things, they, the scammers can adapt. So it's really, I don't know. I mean, people just have to sort of develop a mindset where they are always suspicious about these kinds of inquiries, whether it's email or phone calls or, you know, pretty much anything, basically. I mean, well, you know, oh. one of the things that strikes me about all these scams is that most of them are predicated on the communication being cheap, right? As soon as the communication gets expensive, the scams don't work very well because you need a huge number, you need to reach a huge number of people to get the small number of marks who will actually pay up. So, I mean, to me, the, this particular scam we've been talking about with the tech support via phone calls coming from across the globe is actually a really interesting sort of case study in the globalization of communications and of VoIP, uh, voice over IP calling tech in particular. I mean, these calls have gotten so cheap that apparently, like, huge numbers of small operations can be making these calls to Australia, to the UK, to Western Europe, to the US, and be making money off a scam that I can't believe that many people fall for as a proportion of who's being called. So in that sense, it's kind of a story about, you know, communications. And, and that's, you know, why spam is so effective is just because it's essentially uh, free to send the messages. And you just don't see that sort of fraud take place, you know, at, at, at that level in the mail and things that still are more expensive to use. So we've democratized communications and then this is kind of what happens. You know, yeah. right now it's in voice, and it's it's cheap because you can make these cheap phone calls around the world. Uh, I wonder if if video calls become more popular in the future, which there's evidence that you know they're at least picking up a little more. If uh, there might be even more elaborate scams in the future involving that. I mean, I think maybe that's where it stops, but I don't think so. I think if a stranger approached you in the street and tried to pull a con game on you, it could still also work in. Um, in Skype with video or whatever. So uh, I'll be curious to see. It's not that I want it to happen, but I mean, it's likely. I'm trying to imagine a world in which I would voluntarily accept an unsolicited video call from a number I knew nothing about. Yeah, no kidding. I, I don't even accept video calls from people I know. Well, but, well, so, but you know we're old. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe maybe the world will get there. I'm probably a dinosaur at this point. I think that's where it's at. It's young people don't have such an issue with it. And if you can project your Jackie, your your sort of statement about the Geek Squad and sort of how that works for people who aren't as tech savvy, just imagine a world where, let's say, Microsoft or uh, Google has some sort of uh, video customer service rep where they kind of help you with your issue. What's some phony person? Uh, what's what's to stop a phony person from calling you? They, maybe they have a little uniform or something, but making it look official, and then they get you to do the same thing, like download this uh, this app or hit this link, and then suddenly you're sucked right back in. Uh, this sounds very science fiction-y, but uh, it could happen. I think yeah. it definitely could happen. I mean, you're right. You know, I am sort of, especially with video calls, I'm 
especially curmudgeonly, but, um, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, I think that potentially is, it is possible that that could happen. And then, I mean, as long as they kind of look semi-legitimate, it, it will undoubtedly get a few takers. Um, so I don't know this kind of thing. I mean, this kind of thing will always evolve. It's almost, it's like the 419 scams. I mean, they evolved from very old school methods with email or, um, I'm sorry, with, regular postal mail and then phone calls and then email and, and now I am and that kind of thing. Um, so I feel like the tech support stuff is only going to keep evolving as technology evolves. That is amazing how much human creativity is devoted to parting other humans from their money in fraudulent ways. I mean, a lot of these scams, like you said, go back decades or longer and it's just, incessant innovation of sort of the weirdest kind because you just have to have one one small exchange where you feel like you've uh, connected with the person in a way as a way to help them out because usually there's some sort of solicitation right for give me this or um you know sit here for a moment and let me borrow a dollar and as long as it's small it, it can really really build up so in the case of these, you know, th- that fear of like something's wrong with my computer. If this person's saying this to you, you sort of put your confidence back in them and you say, well, they're here to help me. So just moving from the couch over to the computer, I mean, that's huge because with that, you, you're trying to sort of establish a, uh, a human connection and you do have it. And so I guess the people that fall for it really take, take that confidence to the next level and then... Well, that's yeah. that's why it's so important for the scammers, too. To, is it, why do all these scams take you to the Windows event viewer of all places and show you these error messages? Because it's so important that they establish, you know, however implausibly, you know, some reason for what they're doing. Because, you know, like we talked about earlier, when they call you, they don't do that. They don't really try to give a good explanation of who they are or how legitimate their business is. So that's kind of the one moment, I think, at which if you buy what they're telling you right there about the event viewer, then suddenly it makes, I think it colors your perceptions of everything they're doing and makes everything they try to do next up to and including getting your credit card and often getting you to pay even more for what they call an extended warranty. <laughs> um, yeah, they will offer like five-year protection if you pay twice as much you know, as the two-year protection. So, but th- but there is that one step at which you've got to believe them about this event viewer thing because that's the thing that establishes their credentials you know as being right and i think they take you into something that is both confusing and totally unknown to most mainstream users for exactly that reason so that you're so baffled that you really don't know what you're looking at yeah it it basically builds some level of trust by by sort of, it's almost like proof, even though it's not proof. Um, but it's sort of almost proof that something, you know, some crazy error is showing up in your event viewer. So obviously they are telling you the truth. <laughs> and and so you're like, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, maybe these people are right. Maybe there is something wrong with my computer. Um, I mean, I think you're right. So I wonder if, I mean, I wonder if, obviously this is kind of what Apple and other sort of closed systems um, are going for when they close down iOS and whatnot. I mean, they're trying to protect from this kind of thing. And of course our readers don't like that. Um, But like you said at the beginning of the show, Nate, I mean, I think a lot of, of less experienced users are attracted to 
you know, iPads and, and I'm sure, you know, soon Windows tablets uh, for that reason, because there is some level of, it's almost some level of comfort that this kind of thing maybe can't happen as often. Um, but even then with iOS, there there are third-party apps that might be able to dupe you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the dangers are certainly everywhere. And I think we've seen both with Android and iOS, the things that get into the app store, you know, uh, can cause the problems. But it's just you've got a whole new set of gates to get past, and you've got a gatekeeper, in this case, Apple. And that can be bad, but it can be good for some people. I mean, there was a debate a few years ago that's still going on um, about how important it was that computers and, and our digital devices in general be generative in the sense of they're open to innovation, creativity, tinkering. You know, this is what leads to all sorts of good things in society as, you know, creators can get into their devices and tinker with them and they're not closed black boxes. And, you know, I think the R's readership, in, you know, particularly would subscribe to that kind of view. And, and so do I. I mean, we've got to have that in order to get the kind of innovation we've seen around computers. But I guess it does feel like, I guess I just don't want to demonize the other appliance black box type approach because most people don't want to be generative um, in that way. And I think there are real dangers to it when you don't want to and don't know what, what it means and what the risks are. And yet you have this fabulously powerful device that's sort of open to the world in all these different ways. So I guess I can see the upside to having these more appliance-like devices so long as we have both. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that, I mean, there's certainly a place for all these different kinds of things in our lives. And maybe not for the same people, of course, but um, I think certainly there is there is a m- much more of a market for, uh, I guess, cer- you, the way you said it, uh, appliance-type devices for people than... Um, our readers like to admit. Um, and yet, you know, I think we complain all the time and, and rightly about all these problems with the App Store model that I think are unavoidable once you put a gatekeeper in place. I mean, there is there is just no simple way. This is just like most of these copyright cases that come down to filtering and stuff. It is just not clear from looking at code and apps and stuff, you know, exactly which ones are going to cause problems and which ones are totally legitimate. And, you know, that's usually intentional, um, but it's a difficult problem to solve. And I, I guess we just have to do the best we can striking these different balances. But, you know, you're not going to get 100% in either direction. Now, I don't think necessarily a solution for this are bodies of governance, because then maybe you're heading more into regulation that – uh, might feel intrusive on the consumer. But what I do think could be useful would be um, tougher standards, like interoperability between systems and verification for like customer IDs, et cetera, um, that would help at least identify when something is legit or isn't. Uh, and I think we're still a long time from that. I think the, the only place I see it more, because it actually has a, a direct relation to the government, is uh, healthcare. You know, the, when you try to develop these electronic medical records it's the same deal like you you have to verify who who the hospital is who the provider is and then the 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 customer or patient so uh i would love to see that happen more but i don't 
think that maybe uh, will be the right way to foster creativity. It's it's you know one against the other. I, I I think a balance is probably best. Well, it's a tough problem to solve, or it would have been solved by now. And it always creates its own problems. You know, too much identity leads to difficulty creating uh, you know and disseminating anonymous speech, which has been a a bedrock of democracy, and yet also you know has its own issues around libel and. All sorts of other things we see when you give anonymous people, you know, the power to post comments to the entire world. Um, so, yeah, everything you try to do involves, you know, more accountability often equals more tracking and less anonymity. So good in some ways, bad in others. But, I mean, clearly this is not a problem we're going to solve today. But I guess we can agree that, you know, these scams in particular, I think by just being a little bit more aware of of the basic ones and the ways that they operate, I think people in our lives can at least be educated to avoid some of the things like this tech support scam. And without knowing, I think without knowing the particular details, right? Like you said, there aren't that many kinds of scams and you should just be on the the lookout for these certain approaches and just show a little wariness. And I think that'll help keep a lot of these things away. Now, this is only tangentially related, but I feel like the people who tell me that they've received these kinds of phone calls, they always are using landlines. Um, I mean, and I'm sure that's the case for you too, right, Nate? Yeah, I have um, a Comcast digital voice line, but yes, oh, okay. it's, I mean, I guess you'd consider that a landline. <laughs> yeah. It's not a cell phone, yeah. Because I've, I, I mean, I'm sure it must happen, but I feel like I never really hear about people getting called on their cell phones for these kinds of things. So I, I don't know. I wonder. through for telemarketing and now the kind of telemarketing scammers who are left are increasingly doing that anyway. Again, as the cost, I think, came down was one of the real limiting factors. So maybe that's just a function of, you know, something that we'll see increasingly as, the, as cell phones become ubiquitous and the cost keeps dropping. I mean, that's my guess about why it's only happening with landlines right now. Yeah. Because uh, it's the same, I mean, for I keep mentioning my grandmother because she keeps telling me about these, but it's the same with her. She always gets these calls on her landline, but she she never gets calls on her cell phone. I, I've been cell only for many years, so I, I never get these kinds of calls. And um, I, I'm always wondering about this. You know, it, I'm sure that eventually it will kind of adapt, but it feels like right now it's mostly focused on not, non-cell phone type type communications um i don't really know where i'm going with this point but (laughs) it's an observation that i've made some of that may be related to where they're getting their data sets too if if their call lists come from u.s directories or you know other other ways of compiling information from directories uh landlines are still tend to be included in those directories and cell phones never have been so that might be one difference, but increasingly the way around that is you just get these bulk dialing machines that, uh, I mean, one company the FTC busted two or three years ago was bulk dialing every number in the U.S. starting from like zero 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 and then incrementing by one until they hit everything. So these guys were flooding calls into all sorts of unlisted weird numbers like um, you know, 911 operations centers and things that aren't published. And that was why. Um, wow. So, I mean, for everything you try to do, there's a way around it. 
Yeah, I'm sure that some people might switch to cell phones thinking that they're going to avoid these kinds of calls. And then, like, five years from now, we'll be getting them all the time on our cell phones. Well, I think that as long as there's human beings, it doesn't end. Because this always comes from, from that that part of human nature to, to take advantage or to be deceitful um, for your own personal gain. That, I mean, that's it's always going to be there. So it, the tech will just change or the method, but uh, that's you just have to be aware. And, you know, when something seems too good to be true or it, it's happening so quick that you don't take time to, to think through your decisions, I think that's when these things happen. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I have to tell you, uh, in, in my lifetime, knock on wood, I've never actually um, been hooked by one of these uh, scams, but I've been close. I've had uh, two separate instances with emails that arrived in my inbox where I thought, oh, something is wrong with my banking account because that's what they said. You know, there's, there's, a, there's an issue with your uh, bank and uh, I almost clicked and then I didn't and everything was fine. But uh, <laughs> it's, it scared me because I was like, I feel like I'm an adult. I understand how this technology works. And yet I was that close to clicking on the, the link. You know, there were, um, it's not so common anymore, I think, but a couple of years ago, there were, uh, there was a huge rash of uh, phishing emails that specifically targeted people with iTunes accounts. And so, um, and for some reason, people were just falling for it left and right. And I think it was probably just because iTunes, you know, before that, maybe not everyone had an iTunes account, but but nowadays, almost everyone does because of apps or music or whatever. And um, I, I just felt like there was – we kept reporting on it, and people kept telling me that they were falling for it, and their accounts were being hacked and that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, it's the same idea with the bank stuff. I have – I have not fallen for any bank stuff, but I have gotten many of them, and um, a couple of them have been suspicious. Uh, so, you know, I, I just like I was saying earlier, I just worry that this, these things are becoming more and more sophisticated, and people who don't, people who aren't naturally suspicious of of inquiries like that um, are going to just fall for it instantly. I mean, there were a lot of ours readers who fell for the iTunes phishing scams even, and mm. and ours readers are very well informed. So, you know, I, I just think that it's, it's getting to a point where you basically just have to be suspicious of almost everything. <laughs> even almost, and now, you know, all of my friends, a lot of my friends from high school, they've had their email accounts hacked and then start using those for uh, spam. Um, scammers use them for spam. And so you almost have to be suspicious of things you see from your friends and tweets you see from your friends and Facebook posts. Um, so basically the internet is becoming completely untrustable. <laughs> or, or could we becoming? say... <laughs> yeah. Or could we turn that around and say the internet is becoming more like the real world? Ooh, yeah. Only because you know, it, when we're at home, this can happen. As soon as you walk out your door, or somebody comes to your door, you could get scammed. But also, if you travel a lot, if you've gone to foreign countries, it, it's so quick. You know, t- tourists are targeted, and you suddenly you're out of twenty dollars because you handed it to a stranger. But um, I would argue that you know this it just mirrors what's going on in the meat space. That's depressing. I know. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. <laughs> but but there's good people out there. There's also good people. <laughs> right, yeah, I, think, I think what makes it so hard is that 
in the real world, in your real life, in people you really see face-to-face, usually who live close to you geographically, you are just so much more in control of who you allow into that space, you know, around you and, and who you interact with. Not completely. I mean, when you go out into public, you can bump into anybody, but it's just different. And I, I, I still don't know if people have really gotten their heads around all the implications of what it means to go on, you know, be online, go on the internet. It it seems like just an easy way to like, I'm going to stream movies from Netflix or I can do my banking or I can Mm -hmm. look up information. But at a much more fundamental level, it is, you know, every time your computer goes out and create, you know, has this channel to the outside world in which it can access information from anywhere all over the globe. I mean, the reverse is also true. You have set up a highway into your machine, into the heart of your digital domain from the entire world, you know, that they can get on and, and come into. And you'll see this stuff showing up in your inbox. They'll come through VoIP calls. It'll, you know, we're seeing instant messaging scams. We're seeing a Skype um, IM scam right now. There's Facebook scams. And it's just, if you were living your real life in your real world with no internet, just in your town, and you didn't have a phone, so that all these things weren't coming in from far away, it just seems like, I mean, wouldn't the number of scams you'd encounter on a regular basis be far, far lower? Well, you know, you've got me thinking about this. Earlier, we we talked about the possibility of video scams. And I think in what you're talking about, this, this ability to open up yourself to the world digitally, one thing that happens in person is that your body comes equipped with ways to recognize danger or threat or untrustworthiness. And that has to do with body language and how close somebody stands to you, etc. And digitally, you can't do that, right? You get text or messages over your email. So I wonder if maybe the video piece would be harder because that person has to act to elicit you know, your, your trust. And uh, I think that is something that helps people protect themselves is actual uh, physicality in these places. So I don't know. Maybe I'm going to uh, retract what I said and maybe the video scams won't be as popular or the next step in the evolution of these. I think you the, the distance digitally like allows people to kind of say like, oh, yeah, I'll just click on this. No problem. There's no real consequences. But then maybe the people who really are, you know, the really high quality scammers who could even fool you with their body language, you know, I mean, because, you know, confidence men came from, they could gain your confidence and because they were good at that. So maybe it's really an opportunity for those people. So it'll weed out all the low quality scammers, but like the best ones will live long and prosper in this (laughs) brave new video chatting world. Come find the best of the best on Skype. (laughs) That's right. Unfortunately, I think that's true. I think the best of the best will eventually rise to the top. That's scary. Okay, well, I, I've been closely monitoring the time, so I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you, Nate, for being part of our show. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. And um, I guess we check out the site for more <laughs> coverage of scams and, and everything else that we cover. So thank you. <laughs> See ya. See ya. Bye.